Northside Community Church podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time. So um, I'm very happy to be here today. I'm, uh, it's always fun when Pete uh, allows us to preach and, and give him some time off. So uh, something that's important to me when it comes to speaking is that it's something that is convicting me. Um, I want to make sure that God is, you know, speaking heavily on it to me so that I could share it with you. Otherwise, I don't feel like it'd be worth it. And so um, he kind of led me right back to where I've been reading in my quiet time. Um, our small group, we're going through the Bible in a year. And so uh, we were in Judges over the last about, uh, I guess about a month ago. And so there was just something really unique about Judges. It's in the Old Testament, so you probably don't visit it a lot. Um, it's a crazy book. It's really dark and twisted and a lot of mess-ups in the book um, of what happens. And, and I, I think that uh, there was something that connected it in my life just in the sense of how we look at the world. I think a lot of us feel that way maybe about this world right now and how it's dark it's confusing. Um, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And in a lot of ways, I think faith is, is not just put on the back burner. I, it almost disappears completely sometimes to a lot of people. And so I was like, you know what? Let's, let's learn from that. Let's dive in and see what we can find from it. And so we'll be um, in Judges 2 today if you want to go ahead and open up to that. But let me go ahead and give you a little bit of setup, some background and context for what we're going to be looking at. So you have Israel, the chosen people of God, right? And they were enslaved in Egypt at a time, but God raised up Moses, right, to bring them out of Egypt, help them escape from that, rescue them from that. He had a plan for this people. They were going to be the chosen blessing for the world so that they may show the world who God is, um, what he's about, and his salvation. And they leave Egypt, and it's supposed to, you know, God is trying to take them to the promised land. He's promised this land for them that he's going to help them achieve so that they may be blessed and grow and have generations live there. But instead, it takes a little longer than expected, right? They go through the wilderness for 40 years, and they wander, and they kind of mess that up a little bit, take a lot longer than it should have. And then even Moses messes up. You're going to see a lot of the human condition today and how um, these imperfect people and, and, and how God uses them. But so Moses messes up. He was supposed to take the people into the promised land, but God takes them all the way to the edge and says, because of what you've done, you're not going in. And so he passes away and God raises up a new leader in Joshua. And Joshua is a faithful, faithful guy and is able to help conquest and help start taking over that land that the people were meant to have of Israel. And we see a faithful generation again right after Moses in the time of Joshua. And so Joshua brings us all the way right up to the book of Judges. And so uh, Judges shows us that Joshua passes away and there's this new generation that is supposed to finish the job. They're supposed to help clear out the land of this wicked people. You've got the Canaanites that live there already. And it was God's ordaining of this moment to say, we've got to get that out because they follow false gods. They have idols. It's not good to meddle with them, and so we need them out. And so that's what the people were called to do heading into Judges. And so the first chapter starts off, and nine of the 12 tribes of Israel are starting this conquest, and and they have these different battles. And a couple of them go okay, and they successfully win those battles and clear the people out. But most of them are mess-ups. They end up not being able to completely drive the people out. 
they end up saying, well, you know what? They were too strong. We'll just let them coexist with us. We'll both live here. And what ends up happening is this allows way for idolatry and for, for God's people to start following other ways. And so God's disappointed with them. And so chapter two, we're going to see is this dialogue between God and his people and how what they have done is wrong. And just within one generation, they miss the mark. And so I want to take a look at that. And, you know, there's a lot to look at in Judges, but let's just focus on that today. So let's go ahead and read Judges 2, starting with verse 1, and then we'll break it down. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to, you, to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. This was Joshua's generation still that was acknowledging what had gone wrong. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the, of the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Remember this part because this generation remembered what God had done and they were faithful. Let's go on to verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They were set up for success. They had everything. You, you had this incredible testimony of what God had already done. He saved them out of Egypt. He brought them through the wilderness. He brought them to this place. He used Joshua to help start this takeover. And all they had to do was continue to rely on God, rely on his strength and his plan, and yet they failed to do so. They let this coexistence happen with this other people that were wicked and that followed other gods, and it drove them completely away. I, it baffles me that within one generation, and it said they knew, it said they kn the, that Joshua's generation knew what the Lord had done, but then it said the next generation did not know. It's very unlikely that they didn't know factually what had happened, but they didn't let that knowledge be applied. They didn't let that truth impact their life and how they lived for God. Now, the rest of Judges goes on, and again, I told you, it's a crazy, weird book, and I'm surprised Netflix has not picked up a few of its plot lines for its original series because they're really good at those, um, but it's right there if you want to take a stab at it. I find it crazy that, you know, God raised up these judges, and judges is a weird term for us because most of us think of courthouse, but these judges are basically these heroic leaders and they were very flawed, so I use heroic very loosely. Um, they were these leaders that God raised up to help this people understand who he is and to give them another chance to come back to him. 
And it's crazy because throughout the book of Judges, you see this spiral. And he raises up a leader in the beginning. Some of them are decent and good, and the people follow them. And you've got some decent ones like Deborah and Barak. But then by the end of the book, you've got some really messed up heroic leaders. And the people of God are just spiraling out of control into this darkness. And the book ends with just this line of, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's kind of devastating considering how much they had going for them in the beginning. And so what's incredible, though, is that, you know, despite all of this, God still had a plan, and he still wanted to use him, and he still wanted to give him a chance to, to, to let him in their life. And so today what my goal is for us is to live for God, but then to also think about the next generation and carrying that on, carrying on the faith. My goal is to encourage us as a people, as a church, to be bold and to take courage in the faith of God alone so that we might live obediently, see his goodness, and put on display his gospel for generations after us. So I think we have plenty to work with from this passage of what we could learn and what they did wrong and what not to do. So I want to I go ahead and, and walk back through it. Now, in this first verse, there's already something really neat about it that you may have missed. Already, we're pretty amazed that the angel of God, this is a miracle in and of itself that God is speaking directly to his people. Like, we just pass over that, and that's pretty amazing. But it adds this detail of the angel came from Gilgal. Why would it add where the angel came from? That seems like a really useless detail. But what's interesting about Gilgal is it helps connect what God is reminding them. Gilgal is the location of where the people of Israel first camped after they crossed the Jordan River, after he split the Jordan River and helped them cross on their way to the promised land. Gilgal is where they first camped and praised God for helping them through it. And so it's super interesting. Back in Joshua 5.9, at this location in Gilgal, God says to them, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And what's beautiful about this is Gilgal means to roll away. In other words, God's reminding them, remember what I did. It will help carry you forward. That's exactly what he's saying at the end of verse 1 of, look, I did this for you. Let me remind you of that. Let me remind you that I rolled away the burden that was there to help them go forward. And instead, somehow... The people are almost just deaf to this understanding, to, these, to this truth. By the end of it, you know, he says, I will never break my covenant. God is faithful to his promise to the ones that he promises us. But you are to honor me and honor that covenant back. But instead, what happens? He says, you have not obeyed my voice. The people immediately go wrong at step one here. He sarcastically asks, what have you done? And so the result of it is this. I will not drive out those people, the ones that I told you I would help you, you know, conquer and help you with this land. I'm no longer going to do that. Now they're going to be thorns in your sides, and their gods are going to be ensnaring. They're going to prevent you from fully appreciating, from fully understanding what I'm trying to do in our lives, in, in, in your lives. And so 11 and 12 show us fully that the people did what was evil. They summed it up within one line. And, th and then there's the consequence, the very real consequence that God, there's an anger 
that God has, this righteous anger of understanding, I, I wanted this good for you, but you've chosen a completely different path. It's so interesting to me that the people said, well, we couldn't drive out the Canaanites. In, in chapter 1, it says we, weren't, we couldn't do it. They were too strong. And I think God responds in this way of saying, it wasn't that you couldn't do it, it's that you wouldn't. You chose not to. You made that choice. I, he wanted to enable them. He wanted to give them all that they needed. But when they relied on their own strength, when they tried to do it their way and, and say, you know what, we don't have to drive all of them out. We could, we could kind of coexist. And what happened was half-hearted obedience led to no obedience at all. That means for us, half-hearted discipleship, half-hearted following after God is going to lead to just a path that ends up as no following at all. We see the failed results. Here's, here's the consequences. We didn't read this part. These are the two verses after it. They abandoned God, and he gave them over. He said, you want to see the result of what you're doing? Here you go. Let me show you. I'll allow it. He gave them over to their plunderers. They could no longer withstand their enemies. He allowed them to see the consequences of what had gone on in their life. And I think it's crazy because in verse 10, within one generation, they did not know God. Within one. And in a lot of ways, I think uh, their lack of faith was disturbing. So for my geeks out there in Star Wars... I think Vader would agree that their lack of faith was disturbing. You guys are sleeping. Good gosh. Y'all ate too much. All right, whatever. We'll move on. Here's what's beautiful about this. The people abandoned God. He let them have it. He was angry. They were in distress, it says in verse 16, but then in verse 15, but then immediately afterwards, verse 16, it says this. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. God still had a way. He was still patient and said, I still want to see good happen to you. I still want to see you saved. I still want to use you. So he still provided that way. Now, unfortunately, the people still ignored him. As I said, by the end of the book, they're just doing what was right in their own eyes and not by God's. But I think what's key here is that God is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his redemptive plan. He wants to see uh, saved and brought to this great place, and he redeems those who follow him. So what do we do with this? Because we could easily go on and dive through more of those crazy stories, but I think we have enough to see something with how it applies to us. We may not be Israel. We're not called to take over a land and drive them out. That's a very different era. But we are called to discipleship. We are called to know God. We're called to love him, we're called to follow him, and then we're called to share it with others, to provide that hope to someone else, to show them who God is as well. One of my favorite verses that can, that can lead to this conversation is, is 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. You might have heard this one before, but it's that how, 
how are they supposed to hear, right? As, as Paul says in Romans, how are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to believe if we don't carry that message to them? Show them the hope that you have in you if you follow God. We're called to that. And what I love about the word honor is in my mind, honor is synonymous with love. You honor someone you love. And that's why it brings me to this idea that to honor is to love is to obey. Second John 1 says this, and this is love that we walk according to his, according to Christ's commandments. If we know him and love him and claim that, we need to be living by what he's called us to. So I'll revisit this concept of faithfulness to God and believing in him, but part of that call, part of that obedience is making disciples, is showing that next generation who God is. Because here's what I see from this passage in Judges. I see failures on two parts. Failures on the older generation to properly pass on the faith to the next one. Something went wrong there. Something didn't come from that older generation. And then I see a failure in the younger generation from taking on the faith and choosing God. And it cost them. So I'd like to learn from that. I'd like to think through that and see what, is it, what we could do different. Because right now, while there are a handful of generations as science wants to classify us in this room, I see us all as one and I see a responsibility on all of us to see that the faith is passed on to the next generation. And so I'd like to give you just a couple of verses that I'm pretty sure that most of you have read or heard before, but it's a reminder to give some backing to this and then let's talk about them. So we're going to look at these, and I'm just going to read them. You can write these down in your notes and, and uh, take a look at them later, but I'm going to read them out loud for us. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he won't depart from it. Now, there's a lot of discipline conversation there, but I think it's a good one to remember. Deuteronomy 6.7, You shall teach them diligently and, uh, to your children. And when it says teach them, it's talking about the commandments of God. You shall talk with them. Uh, shall, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Notice the cycle there of a day. When you get up, when you go, when you walk, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you get up again, God and his word shall constantly be there. So for the New Testament, this is a fantastic passage to read sometime as well. Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then for the responsibility to go to the kids, Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, what I'm talking about is a heavy responsibility on two groups of people. First is parents. Our houses, our, where our kids grow up, should, should be evident of God. And it's not all on parents. It's on us as the church. You know, it's super interesting. I was talking with Jason. The baby dedication uh, is actually next week, and he's got some classes and how, how much in line this goes with and how that's one of my favorite parts when we get to see baby dedications is these parents are up here promising that they're going to raise their kids in a godly way, but we're promising back to them that we're going to help them out. 
that we're going to show them that way, that we're going to be there for them and do this as a community together. There's consequence to not living this way. And when you go, well, gosh, raise up my kids in a godly way, you know, I don't, I think that puts a lot of responsibility on let's hope that the message that we're giving our kids is, is true, is, is in line with who God is and what he wants for our life. Because if it isn't, we've got a lot of work to do. So with that said, I think there's um, some responses to this. You may have some objections to what I'm saying, and so I'd like to work through them. First, you may say, well, I don't want to force the faith on my kids. I don't want them to feel pressured by what I believe and what I know. And I want it to be their own. I want their faith to be their own. And to that I say, absolutely. I want to see that for them too, that it's completely theirs, that they make that choice and that they choose God on their own. But what I do also need to say is that by not teaching our kids about God in our homes, we're teaching them a whole lot. We're teaching them about what doesn't matter in that moment. Your time, your conversations at home are going to be filled with something. Unless maybe you just have technology in your face the whole time. But your conversations are going to be filled. Your time is going to be filled with something. Show them God. Show them your faith, your story, who you are, what God's done in your life. You may say to this whole conversation, well, I'm afraid to, to, I don't even know where to begin. How do I bring up the faith to somebody? How do I do this? And on one side, I want to say this, the boldness that Israel needed to conquer the land is the same boldness that we have to rely on. And that's the, the strength and the reliance on God to help. If you try to do it on your own, if you try to muster up the words or the confidence to do it, it it may fall short, but when you let God be the focus of that, when you let God provide you with that strength, he will show you the way, and it will be, it rarely is ever what you think it will be, but it will be incredible to see how God uses that moment. You may have an objection to this by saying, well, I don't know enough. I, I don't have a degree. I, I, I don't study the Bible like that. I, I don't know it like that. There's just too much there. And to this, I want to say first, your story, your testimony of what God's done is more than enough at a place to start. Whether it be your kid, whether it be someone else's, or someone that's, that's trying to learn right alongside you, you have something to offer them to show them in your own story. And the second thing is this, be humble. That's okay. That's actually great. Have that level of, of humility to say, I don't know it all. And when you get that tough question, which it will come, of something that you don't know about God, go, let's find out together. Let's look at this together. Let's ask someone who does know. Let's find some resources that could help us with this, and let's find out together. You know, I was talking about this whole concept of learning and, um, with, my, with my family, and my sister Nikki is a first-year teacher at the uh, International Leadership School just down the road. And she talks about how they gave her a health science class to teach. And that was not something that, that she had studied. And so a lot of her process is learning, you know, this curriculum just days before she's supposed to teach it because it's something new to her. 
And I think that's powerful and what we should all be doing where let's just be one day ahead. Just ask those questions for the next day so that you know where you could go and explore. And there's always going to be a new place to find within God's word, within what that means for how to apply it. But by being humble and saying, I'm going to learn this alongside somebody else is a great place to teach. We should really all be lifelong students and teachers of his word. It should never end. We should never be too old or too knowledgeable to be at that place. Last thing I want to say about, about these concepts is it takes a village. We're meant to do it together. Acts, two, uh, Acts chapter 2 shows us the early church and that community and how they live together. And it's beautiful. It's this community that worships together, that, that eats together, that prays together, that talks together, that sings together. And that includes kids and students. That's what's really cool about today. I don't know if some of you know this, but the student ministry is in here right now. They take the last Sunday off of the month, and they come. I got a wave over there. Sweet. What's up? And they come in here and join us. We're meant to do this together. So the responsibility is not all on the parents. The responsibility is not all on the student pastor and the children's pastor. I love Mike and Jason, and I love their volunteers but it's not just meant for them. We're meant to be a community together that lives by example, that shows Christ to this world, especially young people. And I say young people because I'm one of them, all right? I have not, I'm not acting too old. I want to say this. I would not be here today if it wasn't for three, three guys and there's a lot of people of that, that have influenced me in my life. My parents have shown me a lot. And, and as they grew up in the faith, I got to see that and, and learn how to model that. But there were three guys that took time out of their lives and said, let me show you God. Let me teach you about his word. Let me show you my family and how I, how I interact with them. Let me show you how I study his word. Let me hold you accountable to that. And it's for those guys that I'm here today, I wouldn't be here. I'd be a, in a dark place if they weren't in my life. And I thank them for that. There may be people you're thinking of right now that have done that for you, but I challenge you to pray boldly to be that for somebody else. You have that opportunity. The only thing holding you back is you choosing not to go for it. So, here's a few final thoughts to just look at all of this again. Before you can lead the next generation, before you could teach them and show them who God is, you've got to be fully for God. You've got to fully know him. You've got to be committed to saying, God, you can have my life. Because here's where Israel went wrong. You know, their picture is a great example of this. They were meant to take this land, but they left something in it that wasn't good, that wasn't pure, that wasn't of God, and it cost them. And it ended up leading to them just giving way to that, to that worldly way instead of God's. And if, if, if you're this person that you go, God, you could come in, but I'm going to keep this I'm going to keep this selfishness here, and I'm going to keep this anger here, and I'm going to keep this hurt here, but I'll give you this portion of my land. 
You can have this. God goes, no, that's not cutting it. I want all of you. And I, I got to say to that, he absolutely, I want him to have all of me because, I mean, we've, the songs today perfectly, perfectly illustrated to us, he deserves all of us. He loves us. He created us. He knows us. He has a plan for us, a good one. He wants to show us amazing relationships and amazing things in this world, but we've got to give ourselves fully to him, not halfway. Not halfway. I also challenge you all to this. Pray boldly. I said it already. Pray boldly that we can lead a new generation. I think it's really hard for us to picture what the future looks like. I think a lot of us, it's easier to picture a future where there is no God at a grand level in this world. A lot of us can see the world today and go, well, you know, we've got our church and I've got my community over here, but if you look at the news, he's not there. If you look at the world events, he's not there. If you look at politics, he's not there, and it's easier that way. And I think we fall into this little comfortable but yet very scary nook of saying, the world's never going to know him. We're just going to have to jump ship right at the last minute. And I want to completely push against that. And say, what if we prayed boldly and said, no, we're going to show the world God. No, I'm going to help these young people, this next generation. I'm going to seek them out and show them the faith and show them God's word. And we're going to see a movement, a, a revival. And forgive me if the Baptist word revival scares you, but my goodness, I want to see life in this world. I want to see hope in this world. And you're it. You're it. We are it because God is in us. He is that hope. Let him use you. Now, I'm going to walk over here because I'm talking to the students because they normally sit over here. But this is my challenge to you. Be teachable. If they're committed to showing you God and teaching you about him, you have to be committed to being teachable. You have to be committed to letting God use you. Be humble, be honorable, let God show you something new. It, it goes both ways. Both parties are responsible to see where this future goes for us. And we have everything going for us with God, but we have to take hold. Let me finish with this, with this analogy. As, as you're studying, you start searching and go down some funny rabbit holes and, and uh, God shows you some really cool stuff. So Team USA, we love, our, we love our athletes, right? We love the Olympics. We love them winning the Olympics. We love gold. And then you've got the world championships, if you really follow them a whole lot, that are on the non-Olympic years. And I found this really, really interesting the men's 4x100 relay track team, since 1995, which is just over 20 years, nine times failed or was disqualified because they failed to properly pass the baton on to the next runner. 
It wasn't because of speed. It wasn't because of lack of training, lack of talent. It was because that window, that narrow window where they were supposed to pass that baton on to the next runner that they failed, that they lost nine times. Hillside, I don't want to be disqualified because we failed to pass the faith on. I don't want to see our next generation fail because we passed, failed to pass the baton on. Next generation, don't fail to take the faith on. Let's do this together. Let's let God show us a future where he gets to display to the world his gospel and his son and his love. I want to see that message out there today and for tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you have a word that inspires us, that shows us your truth, your story, your redemptive story that, lo- that, ch- that loves us And you chose us in this story. God, I pray that we can honor your son by loving him, by obeying him in the word that you've given us. Help us pass that baton on, God, to the next generation. And Lord, may you raise them up so they might be for you. We love you, Father. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.